0: Welcome back to American PsyOp, a podcast miniseries in nine parts. I'm Emily Vicks, continuing my conversation with Wesley Clark Jr. and our attempt to figure out what happened to him. So last time, Wes, you were working closely with a radio show host named Cindy and Josh, someone who says they are an activist who used to be a part of the hacker group Anonymous. Josh is feeding you information on who he thinks the Standing Rock infiltrators are. Cindy then records you telling her that information and plays it on her show. They keep revving you up. Last episode, whether it was Antifa or Andy Khwaja, your life seemed to be increasingly knocking against national news events. And from what I understand, that's going to be the focus of most of this episode.
1: Yeah, that's right. It it was this kind of weird interweaving with all this personal craziness as the country is simultaneously going through this craziness. And I know a few of the people involved.
0: How did seeing things close up that would later blow up in the news affect your susceptibility?
1: Well, it gives you the sense that you know more than other people. And that's always the first thing that's kind of a a danger thing, unless that is your specific field of study.
0: And now we're in current. We're in June,
1: 2017. Did I tell you about the food trucks?
0: No.
1: Robbie Lee was this guy who, he ran a really successful food truck called the Grilled Cheese Truck. And because like, we want veterans to run these trucks all over America. I'm like, cool. And we agreed to meet this Indian joint. I pull into the parking lot and there's this dude speaking Russian on a phone, helmet off on a motorcycle. And as I parked the car, There's a guy directly to my right in the car, also speaking Russian and talking on the phone. And then he hangs up the phone when I park. And I'm like, this has me really nervous. And Robbie Lee pulls in on a motorcycle. I'm like, Robbie Lee, I don't want to eat here. Let's go somewhere else. So he goes, okay, there's five guys up the street. Just follow me. We'll go on up there. So pull out, drive like four blocks north, pull into the five guys, the Russian dude on the motorcycle, and the Russian dude in the car both followed us over to the parking lot. And the Russian dude on the motorcycle takes his helmet off and starts talking on his phone, like, so I can't quite see what he's saying. And I look at Ravi Lee and I'm like, dude, I, this is not going to do it. I have to go somewhere else. So he gets on his bike and I told him where I was going to be going. And I'd taken that defensive driving course back when my dad was the head of NATO. And we drive north of the airport and I'm going to take a right, like probably five blocks north of LAX and I'm all the way in the right lane and I can see both the guy on the motorcycle and the car are both still following me. And instead at the last second, I go over like four lanes at like 90 miles an hour and take them in the wrong direction. And the guy driving the car like curses out his window at me, but I lost him. And I talk to Robbie Lee and I tell him I'm Enoch and blah, 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 blah. And then as I go home, I'm like, I need to like, I understand I sent the thing to the woman at the FBI about the dude who came by the house threatening to blow shit up, but I need to physically go there because I feel like I'm being followed right now And the way that Nora had made me feel and everyone around me was you're about to be taken out type of situation. And so I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to go to the federal building. And I'm talking to Cindy Gomez as I'm driving to the federal building, being like, I'm going to the federal building. Holy fuck. I'm driving to the FBI right fucking
0: now. Where in LA is that? Downtown?
1: No, it's like Westwood. So I'm driving from like my neighborhood in Westchester. It's like 10 miles. And five blocks from my house, I start being followed. But just to let you know, I'm being followed by a Ford with Utah plates with four five guys in it that all could be contractors. Okay. And they look like they could be Israeli, Arab, Latin American. They're wearing like Havana shirts. And they follow me as I take lefts and rights that aren't necessary to get to the federal building on every single turn I take. To include pull into the parking lot of the federal building and then get out of their cars and follow me to the front of the federal building. Still pacing. Save me the fuck out of here. Where I ask to see to speak to someone in the FBI, and you're told nope, You leave a message, and then someone will eventually call you. I called five FBI offices in the last four days. These people know I'm on to them. They've called me 15 times this morning. I think they're literally watching me right now. starts with that phone number. Dude, I, I, literally, my life is in danger and I can't go home. What can I do? That's all I'm you guys. Okay. So I'm standing out in front with the two guys, one of whom is carrying this big, thick briefcase.
0: Did you make eye contact with them?
1: A little, they're bigger
0: guys?
1: Yeah, no, they look like they're people who would murder you. Yeah, this guy, this guy keeps reaching in his fucking suitcase and it's making me nervous as fuck. So I'm talking to Cindy Gomez the whole time, flipping out. Like, the FBI won't talk to me. There's no one I can go to. I hop in the car, drive away after about an hour, realizing it's not going to do me any good standing around out here. And then they followed me as I drove away. And then I pulled into the police station down in Culver City and they kept driving. And I went into the police station and I felt like I'm going to report that I think Russian agents are after me. And then I'll sound really fucking crazy. So I'm not going to do that. Instead, I drove home. But I was really shaken by it. And the next day, Mishko shows up at my house.
0: And Mishko is the Serbian film producer you were working on the Constantine script with. He told you Trump was going to be president back in 2013 and showed up to your house just after the 2016 election, which was just before you lost your
1: mind. And I hadn't seen him since right after the election. Dude, what's going on? And, and I had like this just incredible pain inside me. I felt like, I'm like, I'm about to be rubbed out because I know what's going on. And so I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta go get something to drink. So I walk up to the supermarket and he walks with me And as I walk into the supermarket, there's a camera in the store and it's right above the sliding doors as it opens. And when I saw Mishko look up into it, as soon as he saw there's a camera, he instantly lowered his head so the brow of his hat was all you could see. And that little gesture was enough to just make me insanely paranoid to the point that I never spoke to him again.
0: And Mishko declined to be interviewed for this podcast.
1: Did you continue to feel sick? No, once I was once I was out of that situation, I didn't feel sick. I went, I went to my doctor who ran blood tests on me and nothing was wrong. But then I think my doctor called my parents and was like, hey, there's there's something else going on.
0: In hindsight, do you think you were poisoned?
1: Dude, I just I mean I felt anxious. I've been through, I'd just been massively gaslit for hours a day for weeks.
2: Why aren't you furious about this? I'm furious for you. Why are you not furious?
1: Because I'm getting fucked over from so many angles simultaneously right now that my getting angry. Are you afraid you're going to lose friends? I start getting these notifications on my browser in Turkish. I'm really freaked out about the Turkish stuff I just saw on my computer. Did
2: you open up your messenger to see if you could see it?
1: I'm like, what the hell is that? And I contact Sadef and try and figure out what's going on with my computer and what these things say. And for the last month, in addition to don't trust your wife, Cindy and Josh were like, the young Turks are up to really shady stuff and Cenk Uygur this.
2: I can tell you that Sadef is not innocent and neither is TYT, neither is Cenk
1: And I thought about it and I was like, it is kind of weird. Like, it's weird that he can fly home to Turkey when other people, to include professional basketball stars, are like scared to do it. I felt like, what if this guy is part of something? Like, because if you look at the track record of people who came out of TYT and then became trolls on the right or left of like a horseshoe, taking the right and the left, it's a lot of people. I mean, there's Michael Tracy, there's Dave Rubin, Jordan Charlton, there's Jimmy Dore, you know, a lot of people. And my brain went to, well, he did say right before we went on the air how he'd lost like $20,000 gambling in Vegas one weekend. And I was like, this thing is all kind of tied with organized crime. And what if he got into gambling debt? And what if this is more nefarious? And Josh had come down to LA earlier and he had told me that, you know, once they're close to you, you'll get the helicopter treatment and a helicopter will hover right above your house. And it was July 3rd and my wife went to like get her nails done or something. And 20 minutes later, Jake calls me because I'd mentioned something to somebody like, Hey, be careful. Jake could be, you know, a Turkish agent or something. And and I was definitely completely paranoid. And within three to four minutes of him calling me, there was a helicopter directly over my house, 20 feet over my house, like right over it. It was a OH 58, and it had a little ball underneath it that's like where cameras and stuff like that are. And I flipped out when I was on the phone with him. And I'm like, Did you do you have anything to do with this helicopter? He goes, Helicopter, man, what are you talking about? You sound crazy. Literally there's leaves blowing all over the yard and it's right over my head and all I can think is how can you not hear the rotor wash of that helicopter? Then I'd mentioned the Grey Wolves, which is this a terror group in Turkey that's part of or connected to the Turkish Nationalist Party. They were the guys who executed a Russian ambassador and Istanbul in January of 2017, like in an art gallery, in what was really shocking footage at the time. And when I mentioned, you know, are you, are you like connected to this in any way? And he said, gray wolves. I don't even know what gray wolves are. And all I could think is, how could someone from Turkey not know what that group is? And it's kind of weird that Cenk's lobbying group, Wolfpack, is there always preaching TYT army. And it just, When I'd always heard the expression Young Turks, it was the expression in the 80s, hey, this is the new game in town. And it turns out it was actually the name for the guys that committed genocide in Turkey. So that made me triply suspect. So
0: how close was the helicopter to your house?
1: Like 20 feet off the roof. Is
0: that even legal?
1: It was, I've never seen anything like it. I've had helicopters over my neighborhood forever living in LA. I've lived in Venice and Westchester and other places. And I've never had a helicopter directly over my roof like that.
0: How many people were inside? Could you tell?
1: No, couldn't see it. I could only see up from the bottom. What so, color was it? It was like a mustardy kind of color. But I just noticed it wasn't the black and white of like, you know, LAPD.
0: Were any of your neighbors coming outside being like, what the no, fuck? it
1: No, it was over the house for like five minutes. That's it. But after that five minutes, I was like, holy shit. And then my wife came home from like getting her nails done. And she's like, was there really a helicopter here? And I was like, "Holy shit, everything Josh and Cindy, you know, told me is true, and my wife is against me and da 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 And that night, I was like convinced I was about to die, and I lay down in the kitchen while my wife was upstairs, like with a knife sleeping behind like a counter, so I wouldn't be immediately seen if someone broke in the back door and Then, you know, the next morning, my wife got put me on a plane and sent me home to my parents in Arkansas. So Um, how did
0: that conversation go? How did she get you on a plane?
1: She's just like, you have to go back to your parents. And I was like, agreed, that's probably the safest thing to do.
0: Because you didn't trust her.
1: I didn't trust her. And I went home. And
0: where is home now?
1: Little Rock, Arkansas. When I was flying back to Little Rock, must have been July 3rd flight. And I have the same name as my dad. So they sometimes mistakenly seat me in first class, which I never complain about. But I was sitting next to this guy who was wearing a suit and he had rings on every finger.
0: Like studs or?
1: No, no, no. Like mobster rings. And we got to talking and we talked about corruption. And he was like, oh yeah, corruption and, and blackmail. That's all part of it. He said he was like the manager of the high roller something at MGM Resorts in Vegas. And talked about like, yeah, when the Saudis bought this place, there was an orgy and it was filmed and everybody had blackmail material on each other. And hey, you know, next time you're in Vegas, here's my card. You should call me and I'll hook you up with a comp room and you can gamble. And I was like, why, why, who, what's going on? And, you know, I never called them, never followed up. Don't know even if it was real or not. And I thought, the cast of characters that I've, that I've been surrounded with over the last six months, how much darker is it going to get? So I get off the plane and my parents brought me to a psychiatrist at University of Arkansas Medical Center down in Little Rock, and I stormed out.:
0: What triggered you in that?
1: That they weren't taking seriously that there were actual infiltrators and people were actually fucking with me.
0: So you've turned to LA:
1: And you know I was still. Triggered through this whole thing. And then my friend Jeff in July invited me to the ESPYs. And this is as I'm really losing my shit. I go down there and I watch the ESPYs with them. And some of the people who are sitting there with me were like billionaires. They're all sports people, part owners of teams and Got stuff it. like that. Okay. Afterwards, we all had a drink. And I was like, yeah, man, the country's going to descend into despotism. Everyone's like, yeah, probably. Yeah, people get executed for political things. But yeah, it happens sometimes. And all I could think is, wow, everybody's really down for fascism. And what I thought was they're going to do a coup as soon as they don't have any other choice to escape being charged with crimes. And I thought that moment was coming at the end of 2017, the Mueller investigation, that somehow there'd be arrests and then boom, they would do the coup then. But instead, they waited until three weeks before the inauguration to do the coup. It was inept and they dicked it up, but that's what you'd expect on a first try. I'm sure all these things contributed to me losing my shit, both the kind of active mind-fucking that Josh and Cindy were doing to me.
2: I don't even know how you can trust anything associated with them. I think they're tainted now. I
1: can't. I don't even know if I met a single fucking legitimate water protector while I was out there. I don't think you did. As well as the real world events that were transpiring, as well as one of the 50 or 60 people I was talking to almost every day was an infiltrator and knew what they were doing. And I didn't know who was and who wasn't. I drove with my wife to Burbank and Burbank was on fire that day. So massive, like you could see flames and smoke everywhere. And the whole way up, music's playing and every song is like talking to me. So start me up. And am I being told to start up? Absolutely, I am. So when I got home to the house, I sat down at like one in the afternoon and I began having what I believed was a revelation from God that I posted on Twitter that went on for, I think, 37 hours. I lost probably a third of my followers like within that time because people are like, you're crazy. And I'm like, I don't care what you think.
0: So you had a full psychotic break. Full. And we're live tweeting it, basically. Yeah, totally. <laughs> what were you tweeting about?
1: Issues of justice and how to treat people and like, you know, not to eat meat and all kinds of shit. And remember back in that September, I started to develop Batter-Meinhof syndrome an undue fascination with numbers. And as I wrote out this revelation, what was important to me as I was writing it was The number of spaces remaining at the end of each statement, every number had to be three, seven, nine, couldn't be 15, couldn't be four. And if it didn't fit one of those parameters, the first time I wrote it, it wasn't part of the revelation. It was just me wishful thinking.
0: Does that make sense to you now? Like why you pick those numbers?
1: No, but at the time it did. And of course, then my wife got me with my parents. It was like, hey, we're going to fly back to Little Rock today.
0: How long had it been since you were last in Little Rock?
1: Not even two weeks. So we go to get on the plane. And of course, in the flight number and the gate number and everything else is the number 27. And I'm convinced on the flight back that half the people on the plane are angels and half the people on the plane are demons. And the shit could go down at any second.
0: Did you express this to your wife?
1: Occasionally.
0: <laughs> Her reaction? And, she's just,
1: and she's just like okay let's just hold on hold on nothing's gonna happen everything's gonna be cool and then I got home and my dad asked me what do you think you did wrong and in all seriousness I told him I taught mankind to read and to use fire hmm. and my brain had been by that time transformed to being like I'm Hermes and my whole life is payment for me being an arrogant prick over centuries. And dad is Zeus and mom is Hera, and this whole thing's a lesson in just how fucking pathetic I am.
0: How'd you go from Enoch to Because
1: they're all because they're all just mythical figures that we we
0: passing you know, through your passing
1: body. through my body. Mm-hmm. And they got me to sleep for a couple of days. But at the same time, I was still talking to Josh and Cindy for a couple hours a day and still investigating who was who. So I went back into the doctor. And they ran a bunch of tests on me. They ran a PET scan on me. A what scan? A PET scan. They inject radioactive isotopes into your blood. It's like an MRI on steroids. Does
0: it hurt?
1: It felt weird, but weird was a relative thing. I mean, how weird can anything be if it's happening to Hermes? And the PET scan came back and the doctors said I had CTE, which is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. It's a progressive disease that affects your brain. You might've heard of CTE like-
0: In the NFL. In the
1: NFL. And I got a lot of head injuries when I was in the army. And apparently it affected me. And they said, you've been behaving this way because part of your brain is not getting enough oxygen.
0: And we should note that while CTE can technically only be diagnosed after death, the doctor's confidence in making this diagnosis was based on Wes's history of brain trauma, spots found on his brain during his PET scan, and the erratic behavior he exhibited.
1: And they gave me medicine to increase the oxygen flow to my brain.
0: How long did it take for the medicine to kick in and make a difference?
1: Probably a month. But a lot of it was you kind of just felt tired and worn out because you've just been spun up to like literally delivering your own revelation.
0: (laughs) Was it scary?
1: Well, I mean, does it suck that I have a degenerative brain disease that will eventually render me a vegetable? Yeah, it blows, but it wasn't scary. Like I don't expect to live forever.
0: When did you realize that Enoch thing wasn't true?
1: Oh man, probably not for, not till like the end of 2017.
0: Have you ever talked to someone you trusted and referred to something that happened during the episode and they told you you had completely misremembered something?
1: No, but no. I I mean, I perceived everything that was, I saw everything that was happening. How I perceived it is something entirely different.
0: Did you stay in Little Rock then? Oh, yeah. No, I stayed.
1: I stayed for like three months.
0: So you were never committed to a full treatment facility?
1: It was just stick around the house, go to this therapy, do all this testing and talk to him probably every three or four months. So you know, I went back to California, kept working Like the only people I really kept in touch with who I'd met out at Standing Rock. I kept in touch with Sully and, and I kept in touch with Remy. Uh, my wife and I went down to visit her family down in Phoenix for Christmas. While we were down there, we were going to go see Remy. He's a Navajo. He wanted to bring me to like a protection ceremony down there. And I'm like, all right. And then we went out to the reservation, through the ceremony, hanging out in a cinder block rundown house with some blankets and some sage burning and some DNA being spoken.
0: And what are you supposed to get out of that?
1: Remy was like, this will protect you from anything. Like, it'll be like having Wolverine skin for like the next couple of years. So you can get done what you need to get done. And Remy's like, you'll be able to do anything. Don't worry, get back in the fight. While I was down there, I got contacted by Dave for the first time I'd heard from him since he took me out to lunch and said he sabotaged my life and just to deal with it. And that's the breaks. And he's like, I'm going through divorce, want to talk to you. But you know, why did he want to talk to me? Why would he pick the time when I just met up with this guy, Remy, and gone to the Navajo reservation when it turns out, and I look back at it years later when I put all these things together, that I never should have trusted Remy.
0: So he called to talk about his divorce and called you're like, let's divorce. meet like, up for dinner. Yeah, let's cool. meet up.
1: Let's bury the hatchet. We we went out to lunch. I told him I reported you to the FBI as being behind the plan to attack America with all these really dark, shadowy people and that you're involved with Eric Prince and the whole attack on the election and the attack on democracy in the United States. I'm like, that's where my brain was a year ago. And that's what I believed. You know, so I I reported that.
0: And what was his reaction?
1: You know, he figured no one's ever going to take that seriously. So it really doesn't matter. And, you know, we'll have dinner later sometime about stuff. And we kept in touch for a couple of months. When I look at this as an unreliable narrator, I can always say there's weird coincidences. So in 2017, in September, I talked to Paolo on the phone and talked to Ryan Whitewolf. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do this ceremony in LA. When I spoke to Dave, like, A year later, he'd gone to a Native American ceremony at that exact time that Ryan Whitewolf and Paolo were telling me to come out to LA. But but at the same time, I don't know if he was involved with this group of people because nobody showed me any pictures of it. Nobody mentioned any names afterwards. And I've been to ceremonies before where I don't know everybody's name in the room.
0: Was he into ceremonies no
1: no at all so
0: did this seem kind of
1: it sounded like it was the first thing like that he'd done and i think that stuff was probably kind of trendy at that point october rolls around it's like 2018 and we're supposed to meet up he's like oh can't meet up on friday night i've got to go to new york for there's like an emergency meeting i got to attend but then that night in new york was the night where at the republican club in New York. They had that kind of first attack of Proud Boys versus Antifa outside of it. Somebody had vandalized the Metropolitan Republican Club Thursday night, the evening before controversial all right figure Gavin McInnes was scheduled to speak there. After he did on Friday. The clash erupted between alt-right activists and a group founded by McInnes called the Proud Boys and anti-fascist or Antifa protesters.
0: The fight followed a series of events that have left people across the political
1: spectrum angry. This is in the run-up to the 2018 midterms.
0: And how do you know he was in the meeting?
1: Because he was in New York, he was doing it with a cop, and what he described afterwards, the people he met with, would have been the exact people who were at that at that event.
0: So what was the fight outside and how does that connect?
1: Because the event was a staged battle between Proud Boys and Antifa to generate views with the video of people fighting. Because if you show videos of people fighting, it makes other people want to fight.
0: But who benefits from a video of watching Antifa versus Proud
1: Boys? Fascists. Fascists, 100% benefit. And I understand people on the other side of it may just go, oh, some guys has got in a fight outside of a thing. But it's all, like, it's all theater that's being produced and pumped into people's heads to make them feel like a fight is coming. When dad was the J5 at the Pentagon, I was close to the events that had happened in the former Yugoslavia where genocide was committed and Rwanda where genocide was committed. And these things are all produced by propagandizing to people, by stirring it the right way, by showing the right video, the right image to stir people up.
0: Is Dave still making movies?
1: Yeah, he still makes movies. Do you watch them? I haven't watched anything he made after he destroyed my life. Nothing. But interestingly, he did the movie and I'm in it for like 15 seconds. This movie called Harsh Times with Christian Bale. Mm Mm-hmm. And the movie opens and he's wearing the skull mask that all the neo-Nazis like to wear, face mask. So a lot of things when it comes to extremism is branding. I remembered in a course, what really appealed to a lot of Nazis was the idea that they'd get a free trench coat, a free leather trench coat and boots to look menacing and tough. And that's how branding works in extremism. I mean, look, whoever came up with the Boogaloos and like, Hawaiian shirts, these things are all marketed. Nothing comes out on its own organically because in order to get the reach, you have to be supported by an actual system. And because I'd been kind of an insurgent, you know, quote unquote, pundit with the Young Turks, and I've seen what you have to go against until somebody with real money and influence steps in and goes, let's push that a little harder and stuff takes off. I would think back and I would think, how the guy who financed two of his films was the same guy who ran the Russian state propaganda outlet RT and was found murdered the day before he was supposed to talk with the FBI about money laundering through his movies. I was thinking, okay, well, almost all of his movies have different kind of military advisors on it. And he stayed with these consulting groups and he's always been interested in mind-fucking people. And knowing who he contributed to in the past and what he was connected to when he called me the next week and said that he'd been offered the keys to the kingdom and he met the most powerful players in America. And he was like, I can do anything I want. I can get whatever I want made. So all my suspicions came flooding back in. Like, how could I have thought this was a normal human being when they're connected to this type of thing? And he never talked to me again after that.
0: While producers found no evidence tying David to the Republican Club that night, they did find one more interesting coincidence relating to David. In early 2017, an anti-Trump art project by actor Shia LaBeouf became the target of 4chan, the extreme right-wing website that would months later produce QAnon. Hating on LaBeouf became a rallying cry for the right-wing. And Proud Boys staged protests at his exhibits, leaving MAGA and alt-right signs and even got into one film face-to-face confrontation with the actor. Interestingly, much of the 4chan activity around this event was conducted in a chat called Operation Follow the Rabbit Hole. Only a few months later, the phrases follow the white rabbit and the notion of going down rabbit holes would become core to the QAnon conspiracy. While Shia LaBeouf and David have made several movies together, there is another connection that is perhaps more telling. In 2014, LaBeouf was ensnared in what appeared to be a plagiarism scandal, which he responded to with a bizarre apology letter on Twitter. After receiving broad criticism and concern, Shia claimed the whole incident had been an act, simply performance art. And he claimed it was designed by a small team that included David Ayer. Shia was also a vocal supporter of Standing Rock, and while he was not at the protest, he spent time on the Lakota Reservation in North Dakota. However, there was another actor who has worked with David Ayer who did attend the Standing Rock protest. The actor, Ezra Miller, who appeared briefly in Ayer's Suicide Squad, spent time at the Standing Rock Reservation. Ezra has also exhibited strange behavior recently, And a Lakota activist who West knew at Standing Rock has accused Miller of using cult like and psychological manipulative controlling behavior to run off with his daughter, amongst others. David Ayer did not respond to producer outreach. So, when did you stop talking with Cindy and
1: Josh? I stopped talking with Cindy and Josh probably summer of 2018, I think, or they had come out with a tape where they said, Sadef was like part of the Turkish Nationalist Party's overseas group.
0: And Sedef is the Turkish-American woman who came into your life right before Standing Rock. She was a fan of the Young Turks and reached out to you on Twitter. She's also the same person who followed you out to Standing Rock and then denounced you. You guys made up, but now the people who have been feeding you information about the people around you are now saying they found things leaking Sedef to a nationalist group in Turkey.
1: You know, political clubs in other countries don't operate the way they do in America. So they would be like, they provide intelligence and do influence operations and those kind of things. It turned out her father was the head of this big international organization. She was estranged from him. And then I think probably in the run-up to Standing Rock, like the summer before, it's like, oh, my dad's going to visit. I have to meet, I guess he was remarried, the new wife. Can I have him meet your dad? And I was like, yeah, sure. My parents are in town. We'll have a barbecue. Come on over. And, you know, they chit-chatted, you know, at dinner and then boom, went home. My parents were like, oh, they seem they seem like a nice guy.
0: Was there a follow-up? No.
1: And then apparently she'd served as a secretary for the organization like 2011 or 12 or something like that. Sedaf. Yeah.
2: I didn't find the Turkish forum on her resume anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I wondered why she wouldn't want it on there. Board of directors, Dr. Kaya Buyakataman, president. And Sadef Buyakataman is a director of media promotion right there.
1: And then other things where apparently something from WikiLeaks had her name on it with some project where they, I don't know, shipped an old decommissioned Turkish submarine to Arkansas to use as a museum or something.
2: Let me show you this Razorback. Oh, this. This submarine that <laughs> Kaya Alep Buyakataman helped to raise money for to bring to the United States to the Arkansas Inland Maritime Museum. She never mentioned this.
1: She'd mentioned the submarine before. And I thought it was just some weird project she worked on. Like, I don't care. <laughs> but apparently it had been connected with this party. And instead so I was like, well, shit, who the hell is she? And I ceased all contact with her immediately. And then Josh had again; he'd used something about the Kathleen Bennett thing. Like he'd said whatever the code words I felt like he was saying to me earlier, like you know, descendant of a survivor of wounded knee, female elder, like all the magic words to hey, if I say this, Wes will do what I want. Her grandma survived. And I felt it, and I'm like, you know, I I don't know about this. And he said, well, once we've got you, you can never leave. And that was it. I cut all contact with them.
0: In reference to what?
1: Like exploiting me, I guess. But I cut contact with everybody.
0: Did you ask him what he meant by that? Were you like
1: no? Because everything everything always had a slight edge of menace. Like talking about their guns or. You know, they could put things on your computer or they could hack into, you know, whatever. And who knows? You just get to the point where I just didn't care.
0: After Wes cut ties with Cindy, she began publicly attacking him on their show. Cindy even claimed that Wes and his father were responsible for the conspiracy she claimed was being run against Kathleen Bennett.
2: How did Wes Clark, General Wesley Clark, retired General Wesley Clark Sr., end up working on, with his son on this operation that that ended up getting a elderly woman kidnapped, put her in an early grave, and put another indigenous woman in jail for six months. How did the general get wrapped up in all of that? How many other things are these people hiding? What else is General Wes
0: Clark hiding? What about the Turkish messages that were popping up on your... They
1: stopped. The notification stopped. I couldn't figure out what they were. It was some weird Turkish website.
0: What were you thinking? Did you feel like you had no more friends? I was
1: like, I literally cannot trust anyone. And I'm just going to focus on taking care of myself and my own life and not worry about the big picture.
0: And what month is this?
1: This is probably like, I don't know, June 2018.
0: So looking back and deciding of who was an infiltrator and who was part of the op, You definitely believe that Cindy and Josh were operators.
1: Well, I don't know about Cindy. I'm pretty sure Josh was.
0: It just feels like a strong statement because with everyone else, you're cautiously optimistic, yet cautiously you stay far away. Correct. But with Josh...
1: There's almost no doubt in my mind because also the name Josh Long, and he said he was a programmer for Apple and that he worked in like Apple security. And it turns out, there's another guy named Josh Long who has almost that exact same resume who whenever I'd search online, that's who would come up. And so I'm like, I think he had a lot of made up stuff to his resume, so to speak. So you remember Andy Kawaja? He's like Hillary's biggest donor that I'd met on the night of, you know, Hillary's quote, victory party. So Andy, Andy uh, ran this company that moved money around to some kind of tech billionaire. Today on Larry King Now, online payments mogul Andy Kawaja went from selling used army bullet shells in Lebanon's civil war to creating a multi-billion dollar empire shaping the way we pay for things online across the world's borders and currencies. So if you were like living overseas and you were Lebanese or maybe Egyptian, I don't know, probably all covered the entire Middle East but how to move money back and forth between your job in the West and your family back home. Yes, that that is absolutely correct. PayPal is more consumer-driven and more business-driven. And he donated to Trump's inauguration. And you realize all these really wealthy people play both sides of the parties. Because in the end, what's important is protecting their money. The next I heard of him was, I don't know, probably spring of 2017, saying that, the Saudis were extorting the Qataris to take care of Jared Kushner's building in the summer of 2017. It was like I was home. I was in a health crisis. He said, "Hey, let's, you know what I heard was they kind of laundered money into political contributions to Trump's 2016 campaign. Who are they? Israelis, Saudis, Russians? Uh, online using virtual credit cards. You know the simple dumbed down version." Was something like the Russians could figure out how they make the fake card and put the contributions in, and that it doesn't get alerted the real thing. And supposedly, the Saudis paid for it with like Bitcoin. Supposedly. Dad's always like, Where's the proof? Where's the proof? Give me the proof. I'll get it to the FBI. Where's the proof? And he goes, He won't. Some ex Israeli intelligence people who work for a well known private company paid a visit to his office and threatened him about the information. It was just kind of a. He was a guy who knew he was wrapped up in something really big and dark, and he's trying to figure out a way out of it. This is like June 2019. My dad called me, goes, hey, Andy Kowaja want wants you to pick up some package like, that he wanted to send somewhere to like, you know, before it goes to the FBI and like, you know, mail it. It's like paperwork on all this stuff. I'm like, okay. Why you? Just because I do it for free. I was just there. I was just like, in L.A., I'm somebody that can be trusted. You know, I went by his office and I picked up some, like, box of, quote, evidence. I have no idea what the hell it was. Just some papers, I guess. Dude comes out, hands it to me. He's a really friendly guy. He goes, oh, yeah. It's like, I don't know, a box that's like, (laughs) maybe you could put a sweater in it. (laughs) And I went down to FedEx and sent it off. And he ultimately didn't go to the FBI. After, like, coming really close, like, hey, go in there, cooperate, tell them what you know. And then, like, three months later, I think September 2019, he gets indicted for campaign finance violations, for donating multiple times and, like, political corruption stuff for both Hillary and Trump. And then he, like, fled the country. And, and then I think he got arrested in, like, one of the Baltic countries. And then he got let go or escaped or something and is at large so oh man it must have been like this year 2021 my dad sent me a text from andy kawaja of like him in a hospital bed saying he'd been poisoned and that trump was trying to kill him and i'm like dude stop taking that guy's calls and i thought wow anybody who has any proof about what happened in in 2016 is going to wind up dead or in jail because in my head i thought this guy knows how they moved money into the political things beyond, I think, what he was charged with.
0: And has that happened?
1: What was it? Rohrbacher's aide got killed this summer? Hammer blow to the head?
0: And Dana Rohrbacher, who's been dubbed Putin's favorite congressman, has consistently taken extremely pro-Russian positions and had close relationships with members of Russian intelligence, despite having been warned by the FBI that he was being recruited by the Russians as early as 2012. While he came under scrutiny in the Mueller investigation and the Senate Intelligence Committee report on Russian intervention, he was never charged with a crime.
1: You know, the number of Deutsche Bank executives who killed themselves.
0: And Deutsche Bank is a bank that has been fined several times for illegally laundering tens of billions of dollars in Russian money and was Donald Trump's lender of choice, despite his frequent delinquencies on loans
1: but you don't know. You don't know what they're telling you is true. You don't know if they're telling you something to get you to react and go against somebody or if it's real or not. And so we're not intelligence experts. We're not law enforcement experts or espionage experts, but when you run across that stuff, you're like, I don't want anything to do with that. That's why, you know, you're like, Hey, FBI people look at this. Because this is not my realm. This is not what I do for a living. And I would have no legal authority to do anything anyway. I'm just like you. I'm just a regular person. And I'd stop taking my medication. Why? Well, because it made me feel kind of in a stupor. And when I quit taking it, I've never had a relapse since that point.
0: Is your brain getting enough oxygen?
1: Apparently. But, you know, there have been times you'd feel it at the edge of your mind. And then, of course, COVID happens and I'm at home the whole time.
0: So we're like January 2020. We're like
1: January 2020. Remy reached out to me. I talked to him once or twice during the thing. Like early on, I was like, dude, wear a mask, hide out, like don't go near anybody.
0: And Remy, along with Sully, is one of the only two people you met at Standing Rock that you still communicate with.
1: Yeah. He called me in September and he started talking to me about Desiree. And I felt like I was being deliberately triggered. Desiree is writing a book that says you're an FBI informant. And it's coming out at Christmas.
0: And Desiree is the woman. Desiree We don't really know where she's from. I don't
1: don't really know where she's been. I met her when I was up there at Standing Rock. I thought she was super cool and motivated and and a good person. You know, Remy and Hurd apparently broken up. And I was like, okay, yeah, people always feel negative towards people they break up towards. But I mean, I didn't trust her like I didn't trust anybody else. And Remy's like, no, no, she's publishing this book and you need to go out and attack her. Like online, you need to like figure out how to stop it. And I felt really deliberately triggered. Like somebody was just trying to fire me up to accomplish a task for them that had nothing to do with me. And I was putting together this documentary that I'd started working on in the summer of 2019. What was the documentary about? It's called Hot Money. It's about how climate change is going to interact with our financial system. So in February, 2020, right before like COVID hit, like I knew, I, I knew it was happening enough that I was stocking up my house with canned goods and ordering masks and, you know, being ready for when, it, when it came, we were, you know, we had to wrap up because we knew, Hey, this plague is coming and we're not going to be able to film anywhere. So we're going to get one, like last couple of days shooting in Santa Barbara. And I called a friend of mine, the weed guy. And I'm like, do you know anyone in Santa Barbara to interview whose house burned down in the fires? He's like, uh, let me talk to my friends. So this woman from North Carolina called me and she's like, oh, you got to talk to Mickey Willis. Mickey Willis's house burned down. Oh, and he was at Standing Rock, too. No, you go, we got to put you in touch with him. So we interviewed him up in Ojai. Like way up high. Like it would have been a beautiful house if it was still there. Like all that was left was charred bricks. And we start talking in the middle of the interview. The landlord shows up and it turns out he didn't own the house. He was renting the house, he wasn't allowed on the property. And the landlord lady was like, Yeah, it was like a cult. There were like 12 people living there and it was crazy. Like it was, it got really weird. And then he and his wife took off. And I remember Susan, the director, and I were like, that was really strange. And a few months later, I got a video from the Australian trust fund baby I knew that took the trip to Macau with the guy who sold his company to Amazon. The Australian kind of disappeared into the wormhole of like cultish kind of bullshit. And he sent me, he's like, night. Got to understand something about this pandemic, mate. You've got to see this movie. They're suppressing it everywhere, mate. And he sent me Plandemic. Oh
0: no, I knew you were going to say that.
1: By Mickey Willis.
0: And Plandemic was a disinformation documentary, which came out right as the COVID epidemic spread. It made false claims, such as stating flu vaccines increase the chance of getting COVID, and that hydroxy. queen, a malaria drug, is effective against COVID, and that mask wearing is detrimental.
1: Well, quite a few of you have
2: asked us to look into a viral video labeling itself as a documentary about the, quote, scam
1: that is our global health system these days.
2: YouTube is deleting it for violating guidelines on COVID misinformation, but that hasn't stopped tens of millions of people from sharing it on other platforms. This video is snappy and well-produced, but it's trying to push a narrative filled with falsehoods and a lack of evidence, meaning we, class this video as disinformation
1: and it was just interesting to see how it was put together and how quickly it spread and how predictable the network of people around me was that were pushing it now i'm sean stone and uh very excited about the conversation today We have a sort of a, a drop-in special guest mickey willis is the filmmaker joining me and, and thanks for having me and, and being involved in this conversation sean i also want to say thank you so much for being such a great source of information through the process, uh, providing so much good information that helped us make part two. Really appreciate that. And, you know, I ran into you guys like right after that, right around that time.
0: The producers of the podcast.
1: Yeah, Jack. So Jack and Marlene called me up. I think Marley's the one who called me and she's like, hey, I produced Active Measures. And we spoke to you in June of 2017. And I was like, I have no memory of speaking to you whatsoever, but okay, what would you like? And they said, well, when we talked to you in 2017, you were talking about like a coup against the government involving Nazis and the right wing and the Russians and organized crime. And well, we need to talk to you. And I was like, okay. And they came out and talked to me.
0: And Jack and Marley met up with you in October of 2020 because not only were they seeing characters and situations you had described in their work investigating QAnon, but also they were concerned that the networks pushing QAnon seemed to be setting their audience up for a violent insurrection if Trump lost the 2020 election.
1: Yes, and told me some things that I had no idea about, that there was like this cult called the I Am Cult
0: And they were talking about the I Am cult in relation to QAnon.
1: Yeah. And when they mentioned the kinds of things that permeated the cult, I was like, oh my God, that was like half the people around me were talking that specific kind of lingo.
0: And they start mentioning names and you're like... Totally.
1: I know that person. And I talked to Jack and Marley and they introduced me to Dave Troy, who also had some questions and... I shared some information with him.
0: And Dave Troy is a researcher and writer that the producers of this show work with.
1: And then I listened to Dave when he did something on Clubhouse. And as I was listening to it, Desiree Kane popped on to the screen. Within 24 hours of me being on that Clubhouse thing that Desiree was also on, Sully reached out to me and called me.
0: And Sally is the last person from Standing Rock you still talk
1: to. Yeah. And I hadn't spoken to him in months. And he wanted to speak about, well, what did you think about January 6th? There were people from Standing Rock involved in January 6th in the coup. And he was telling me who I should trust. And he says, well, the people you can trust are me and Chris, like who are the guys who's still out there on the reservations. But when I, when I looked up where he said he was working afterwards, it was the company in the U.S. that makes the Stingray, which is the law enforcement device that can re-phone. That he told me my phone had been Stingrayed as we drove on to Standing Rock. And then five years later, he somehow is working for that same company that made it in Orlando, Florida, and calls me within 24 hours of me getting freaked out about the Desiree Kane thing. It just felt weird. Then I thought, I can't trust him anymore.
0: Do you still think he's wrapped up in this?
1: Well, like a lot of people in this, it wasn't that I even thought he was involved at the time. It was that I just didn't know. And I didn't want the anxiety of not knowing in my life. If only one or two people are active in on it, they can make 50 other people seem suspicious who shouldn't be. So I couldn't, all I could understand is that I would never reach a conclusion on any of this stuff. And then I'd never know who anybody really was. When I thought, oh shit, man, Desiree.
0: How did Can you know it was Desiree?
1: her? Because it had her name, Desiree Kane. Oh. And I was like, maybe she popped in here because I was on here. And I remember I called up Jack and Marley and they're like, oh no, we've been working with her for like six months. And I was like, Wow. And then I talked, to, I talked to her, and it was like, you know, I was really scared to contact you. Like, I don't know who to trust. And she was like, I don't know who to trust either. And, you know, comparing notes, it's like, it was great because she'd been through the same kind of mind-fucking.
0: Next week, for our finale episode, we will be joined by a special guest, Desiree Kane. She spent several months in Standing Rock, which is where she first met Wes. We're going to see how her experience compares to Wes's. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more American PsyOp. American PsyOp is a Bunker Crew media production in collaboration with Midas Touch. It was edited and directed by Jack Bryan. Our producers are Stacy Scher, Marley Clements, and Jack Bryan. Executive producers are Ben MySalis and Grant D. Simone. Sound design by Joy Ellett. I'm your co-host, Emily Bix. Please join us again next time.